Devil's Dicks Card, a podcast for the esoteric and strange. At the end of three. One, two, three. I punched my mic. <laughs> <laughs> nice well, work. You're so violent. I know. It's just one of those mornings. <laughs> well, welcome back, Dirtlings, to another episode of the Devil's Dirt Star. Um, I'm your host, Ellie, with my co-host. Big Spoon. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and we have a special guest on today, uh, Jason Ginsburg. I realized, Jason, that I did not double check with you that that's how you pronounce your last name. Did I get it correct? You got it correct. Okay, perfect. perfect. I, I never think to do that until after. And one of these days, I'm going to butcher someone's name. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Jason is a former VIP tour guide at Universal Studios Hollywood. He is the creator of At Fake Theme Park, Twitter's longest running comedy project. Jason studied film at USC and has produced content for Science Channel, Home Shopping Network, and Playboy, along with the screenplay for The Sorcerer Beast, which is now streaming on Amazon. Uh, he now lives in New York and works for Discovery Channel. And um, before you know, we started recording, we were having quite a, a bit of a conversation about some of his background and the very cool things that he does for Discovery. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of get more into um, his background and his love for classic monsters and what that what that turned into. Well, thanks for having me. A long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> we're super pumped to have you on and, and super pumped to have this conversation because I think we're all lovers of, of classic horror and classic movie monsters and, the, and what goes into that. And the thing that kind of instigated this is you have a, a song that you created, right? About, about classic movie monsters, so to speak, and, and called Children of the Night or yeah, Children of the Night. Yes, I'm, I guess I call me the co-writer, the producer of it. I wrote the lyrics. I hired a composer. Eduardo Garcia Rascon, who's fantastic. He does uh, video game music and uh, wrote kind of a, a combination between a symphonic metal song and a Broadway show tune. Celebrates all eight of the classic movie Monsters, which has never been done. Even Monster Mash only talks about a few of them. And Monster Mash is really the only song there is yeah. about, about the monsters, about, about multiple monsters. There's like Werewolf of London and things like that that are for one-offs. But I thought, I'm such, such a longtime fan, there's really no anthem. There's no song about them. And so I wrote the lyrics, found a composer. We settled on kind of a spooky rock kind of feel. Found a fantastic artist, Brett Alana, who's an up-and-coming vocalist who is going to be big to provide, basically sing as the Bride of Frankenstein and sort of built out this symphonic metal kind of sound. And it's available now. It's on Apple Music and Spotify, and it's a sound on TikTok, Amazon, everywhere. I'm very, yeah. very proud. It's a very fun song, released for Halloween, but available it's, spooky music is good all year round, certainly in January. <laughs> oh now. yeah, always. And it's, it's such a fantastic sounding song too. Like, I, the, you know, the way you described it, I think is really, you know, it is, it does have the Halloween-y feel, but it is still, it kind of is, um, you know, her voice kind of is a little bit Broadway opera kind of uh, tones. And it's, it's absolutely something that's going on my, on my Halloween playlist for sure. You know, I have a, a very long playlist that I listen to pretty much September through November. <laughs> that's my Halloween playlist. And, and it's definitely going on there. And it's, it's a lot of fun how, um, you know, just listening, listening through all the different, you know, you, you speak about these classic monsters and, and giving them kind of a little more personality and kind of, you know, you know, the, the theme of the song is, you know, she's dating all these monsters and this is how they were. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. 
No, thank you. Yeah, I've had a lot of trouble. And you know, saying I want to make a song about the monsters is easy. But what is it? Yeah. Like, even, even Monster Mash, it's sort of like, there's a party. And the mummy was there. And the Wolfman was there. That's not really a song. I wanted some kind of, I'm a writer. I wanted some sort of story to yeah. it. And began thinking about how do you talk about these monsters? I mean, really, they're bad guys. They're yeah. villains. So yeah. is it Van Helsing singing about killing all the monsters? Are you being chased by the monsters? That seemed like sort of a, a negative yeah. idea. So I wanted something positive and thought, really, if you think about the monster movies, Really love stories. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Love may not be wanted, it may be misguided, but it is, these are love stories of various kinds. Uh, certainly, I mean, the Phantom and Christine. Anyway, so yeah. I thought that's the way to frame it. As a woman who's gone through dating all the monsters, attracted to them, something goes wrong and she has to leave. And so she goes through all of them until she ends up with Frankenstein, which makes her the bride. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you what the inspiration was. And to me, I thought it was like, the perfect culmination of like, how do I introduce all of these classic monsters? And I was curious what made you decide to choose like a female perspective, but that completely makes sense now because as I was researching some of these monsters, specifically Gilman, I just realized that out of all the movies that have come out about Gilman, in every single one, there's a love interest. <laughs> so I think that could be said for the rest of the classics, too. Absolutely. Uh, Dracula was released on Valentine's Day in 1931. It was billed as a love story because he really is in pursuit. Uh, Dracula and Lummy are basically the same films. They basically are about him pursuing a woman who he believes sort of as a reincarnation or some kind of soulmate. Uh, the woman doesn't want those, doesn't want those attractions, but it's still there's <laughs> yeah. a love story there. <laughs> so yeah, often there is a Beauty and the Beast kind of yeah. story to all these things. Yeah, and 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 just kind of the it really I think I mean all human stories do this, but kind of addressing the human condition of you know everyone in one way or another has experienced un um, unreciprocated love and and desire for things you can't have and dealing with rejection based on appearance, which is a very real thing, and all of that you know dark but but real things that i think no matter even if it's you know talking about a monster which is not a real thing something that everyone can relate to what the story is about um and and vampires are certainly i think one of the most you know quote unquote romantic of the of the beasts out there because there's something very very intimate about biting someone on the neck and drinking blood and all of that stuff is very intimate and and can be depending on the person seen as romantic and uh, yeah it's it's very people like the three of us yeah <laughs> <laughs> we know our audience yeah <laughs> yeah so um i i when we were discussing you know what we were going to research initially i was going to do frankenstein and then the evolution of zombies through through pop culture and lore and i decided to just do frankenstein which to be honest could easily have its own entire episode just on frankenstein and mary shelley and and the evolution of frankenstein's monster and the changes it's undergone but um zombies certainly i could not do both there's just too much too much for that and we would have been here for four hours and i won't do that to you guys so <laughs> i just did frankenstein <laughs> Yeah, same goes for me. I just decided to do Gilman because I could go down a mummy rabbit hole and everything having to do with ancient Egypt and how that, you know, I mean, I feel like it's, I don't know, every couple of years, there's like a new mummy movie happening. So I wanted to do something that I didn't really know a lot about. We'll definitely, we'll definitely have to have have Jason back, especially for the mommy episode, I think with with your experience and the things that you've done, I, I think you can certainly contribute quite a bit to that as well. 
I'd be happy to. Even my role at Discovery Channel, we deal with plenty of ancient Egypt uh, specials and content and digging up tombs to this day. So I'd be happy. That's yeah. awesome. That would be super cool. So Riley, do you want to kick it off with Gilman? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so I kind of did a little bit of background on the Gilman like lore, where he came from, possibly um, a little bit behind the scenes of the films, and then like the three films that he starred in as the monster. And then there's some honorable mentions in pop culture. Uh, what is that one from Guillermo del Toro? The Shape of Water. Thank you. See, <laughs> Jason knows. <laughs> I have it written down. It's right in front of me, but I figured you were a human encyclopedia for monsters. So <laughs> you probably like Del Toro's work. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a good test. So there's a little bit of a thing <laughs> about Gilman where some people think that he was inspired by the 1951 film, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. But after some digging, I'm not so sure that that's the case. You see, there was a man, his name is, let me see, sorry. Oh, he's a film producer. So his name is William Allen. And he heard the story at a dinner party one time from a film director from Mexico. His name was uh, Gabriel Figueroa. His friend disappeared in the Amazon rainforest. And the reason, well, why that happened, we don't really know, but he was on a mission to film a documentary about these supposed fish humans, like a population of them. You know about this, yes? A bit, but I'm, fa I'm fascinated. I'm just <laughs> so Alan, he like got obsessed with this idea, started making some notes, and it wasn't until like 10 years later that he was like, you know what, we have to get this creature on the big screen. So what he did was get in contact with someone that worked at Disney. This was an animator and her name is Millicent Patrick. She's the one that created the final model of the creature, later known as Gilman. A thing about that, nobody really knew that she was heavily involved in that process of like the original design because there is a makeup artist, his name is Bud Westmore. He is the one that ended up designing the costume and doing all the makeup. And uh, the only reason I knew of the Westmore name is because he has a descendant. Her name is Mackenzie Kate Westmore, and she was the host of Face Off on Sci-Fi. And that show has multiple seasons. It's fantastic, all about special effects makeup. But anyway, yeah. that's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> so, um, but now, so some of the behind the scenes thing for the creature of the Black lagoon where we first see Gilman. This costume ended up being $15,000 to create. I don't know what that is in 1954 versus like now, uh, but it's a, a pretty hefty a price for a costume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the film, it was directed by Jack Arnold and it was black and white, but it was 3D. So you could wear polarized lenses while you're watching it for an even more spooky experience. And Ellie, since you got me into movie budgets, uh, <laughs> the film was created for $650,000. So that's like $7.5 million today. And the box office was $1.3 million in the 1950s. Wow. So over, yeah, over $12 million today. Yeah. Thank you for getting me obsessed with that sort of stuff. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, this whole movie, it was filmed in Florida, which is kind of, um, I guess it kind of makes a lot of sense. Even some of the movies take place in Florida, like later on down the line in the trilogy. So very Florida, very Florida, uh (laughs) everything about it. (laughs) Yeah. And one cool thing I really liked and I thought, you know, this is all practical effects. So one of the things that they did to make the colors more vivid on the suit was to paint it yellow when they were doing like underwater scenes. Cause he's like, at this point, not super amphibious. He doesn't like hang out and breathe air a ton or anything like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Painting yeah. Yellow. Yeah. So essentially what's going on with Gilman is that he is from the Devonian age. So that's over 4 million years ago. And it's actually known as the age of fishes. <laughs> and Some archaeologists are in the Amazon rainforest and they find what they think is the remains of a fish-like human, specifically a claw. And they're like, oh my God, we got to explore this. Let's get some funding. So there's this institute that they go to, they bring the artifact with them, and then they decide, okay, we need to do an excavation. So they send a team of people out to the rainforest, but, uh... The thing is <laughs> that Gilman is out there and he's watching them and he goes, <laughs> they're digging up his family graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind I'm of pretty much what's happening. <laughs> like also talking about, I, I do wonder what his lifespan is. Like, I don't know. Like, is it normal? Like a human possibly he is humanoid in appearance. So anyway, they go out there and he's super mad and is not all about this. So he, shows up and he's going to tear everybody apart. He's just mad. So is that how he, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Gilman. Um, please forgive me. Does he disembody people in a like Hulk tear kind of way? Like what kind of, what kind of monster killer is he? I'm not super sure. Jason, do you happen to know? (laughs) It, It is 1954. So it's more like he closes his claws over people's faces and then we're done. We don't really yeah. see. We don't see much in terms of the gore. We know he kills them pretty easily because he has these great talon hands that uh, Big Spoon was describing there. These very very cool claws. I think that is. I don't know what he's doing, but he can pretty easily eviscerate them. I would think, but not, not that we see any of that sort of blood. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think classic horror movies back in those days they didn't really show too much gore, but the films seem to be fairly violent in a way. Yeah. So, and like you were mentioning his appearance, he's got these webbed hands. He's got like pointy claws coming out of his fish fingers and he's covered in scales, all that good stuff. And he has super tough scales. So things like gunfire and literal fire may not necessarily work on him. And they start finding that out slowly throughout the movie. I am going to mention here, there are scenes where they uh, try to subdue him in a way by using a drug and they call it like a like a sleeping powder. Yeah. But it's actually um, Anthrax. It's called... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, not quite. It's oh. called <laughs> rotenone. And rotenone is a known pesticide that they put in water to kill fish that they consider to be pests to an area. So it's kind of hilarious. Whoa. Complete opposite of fish food. Yeah. So 
So one of the Marine experts, he, when they originally went to the Institute, he had his girlfriend with him. I'm not super sure if she was like also some type of researcher or expert. She is. That's, that's very important for the 50s. She, she actually is an expert of some kind. Yes. Yes, she is. Okay. Oh, that that's huge for the more... 50s. Mm -hmm. Right? To its credit. Yeah. Yes. And that actually kind of comes up again in the second film and even the third one for that matter, which I think is fantastic because like you said, it is the 50s here. So her name is Kay and Gilman sees her and has the hots for her. Like can't get over this lady. Oh my God. Totally beautiful. I know you guys are like ripping apart my house, but you know, he, I he, he likes her. a smart woman. I'm here yes. for it. <laughs> <laughs> He's progressive. <laughs> so at one point, Gilman, he's captured, he's put in a tank and basically they want to keep him for scientific study because now they have a live specimen. So why not? But of course, he ends up escaping and killing one of the researchers. And he goes on a murder spree and ends up, well, kidnapping Kay pretty much. But like a couple of times throughout the film, I believe. I don't know if anyone does a kidnapping count for these movies, but there probably should be one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so now the last surviving members of the expedition, they're going to go out on a hunt for Gilman and they're going to try to subdue him again with the uh fish pesticide <laughs> but uh basically they they end up him and Kay end up in a grotto and there's like a shootout essentially and i think there's also a harpoon in there somewhere jason can you confirm that yeah a lot of harpoon guns for the underwater battles yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so cool um, i've only seen like snippets of this film um and I think maybe I watched it as a little kid because I loved classic movies, uh, horror movies specifically. Um, but I couldn't remember exactly what was used. But at the end, you just see Gilman. He is riddled with bullets and he slowly sinks beneath the surface of the murky water. And we don't know what happens to him. Until well, the second one. <laughs> that, Presumably. Exactly. Specifically, Revenge of the Creature is what it's called, because he's also known as the creature. So he did survive that battle in the grotto, and the story continues with Gilman being captured and sent to an oceanarium in Florida, really far from home. So while he's kept there, he is being studied by an animal psychologist and then also a beautiful student, a female, who... She studies fish. Um, ichthyology. Lots of smart women in these films. That's uh -huh. pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any lady ichthyologists now, but I think that's I don't know cool. any now, to be honest, male or female. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> so while he's being kept for the study, he is too distracted by this beautiful woman who's obsessed with fish. So obviously she loves him too. To pay oh, attention- she's like that kind of obsessed with fish well i don't know is she <laughs> sure maybe that's not till shape of water <laughs> oh well okay that's pretty fair but uh so he can't pay attention to the animal psychologist because he's just too busy he's staring just... at her yeah <laughs> <laughs> hard eyes so what does he do like he always does, Gilman ends up escaping and he goes to the ocean. But 
he's still obsessed with the thought of this student. So he starts stalking her and eventually does kidnap her. And then the movie ends with the pair being tracked down. And after being shot, was this also by a, a harpoon, Jason? I forget. I think it might have been regular police at this point. Regular, oh, regular revolvers, I think. I forget. Oh, I forgot. We're in Florida. So yes. Um, <laughs> where's, the, where's the Florida man, the old man newspaper heading? <laughs> I need to see this article. Someone, a dirtling, get on it. Like that's Florida incredible. man hunts down, finds real life gill man, turns oh him into a gosh. pair of slippers. <laughs> so... Or that's a handbag belt. That's you could a... probably do slippers, handbag, and belt matching. Gilman's fairly large. Yeah. Well, that jacket even maybe. You could have like a full like full castle suit. wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need this costume in my life. Oh my god. <laughs> so eventually, the pair they are tracked down, and Gilman is shot, and he dives back into the ocean to seek refuge. Again, we don't know if he lives or dies. Until the last Dude. movie. <laughs> this is The Creature Walks Among Us. So, guess who's been biding his time in a Florida river? It's Gilman. <laughs> and this one seems to be pretty violent um, because there ends up being like this big thing. We have some researchers and they're going out and searching for him. We have a doctor here. This is Dr. Barton, I believe. Um, his friend Jed and also Jed, Jed's from Florida. <laughs> Is that like a very, um, a very Florida name? <laughs> I'm getting Southern vibes from Jed for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jed and Bubba. They're, they're, oh, they're south of the Dixie line for sure. Um, <laughs> Bubba's a tough name. Oh my God. So Dr. Burton, he, has a wife and he's not like super kind to her and her name is Marsha and against his wishes she ends up going to look for Gilman as well so it ends up getting crazy violent and eventually Gilman ends up on fire he's like immolated or whatever so they think that he can't breathe and they're freaking out because his gills are burned off and his his scales are falling off as well so they decide to do a tracheotomy and on Gilman also, yeah because All right. they're afraid he can't breathe and they want him to live so that they can study him so so his, his anatomy presumably then is that of a person but with gills so well, so we're assuming there's a there's that something that would functionally work yes and that's exactly what they discover when they put him under the knife they discover that Gilman is developing a set of lungs that have kind of been dormant up until him not being able to breathe. It's like air. human lungs. Yes. So when they do the tracheotomy, he takes in a full breath of air and he can breathe just like you and me. Except through the hole in his throat. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just well, like you. Mouth. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know Gilman monster science. Okay. I'm just um, here like infactual. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this this is the only part that doesn't add up. So slowly over time, they're starting to see that he's becoming very human-like because as his scales are falling off, it reveals 
more human-esque skin in a way like it's smooth no scales whatever so they super decide to dress him up like a normal person the I'm first getting... outfit was built out of a sale I guess so even more like Jason said I'm getting the beauty and the beast vibes so he's just gonna molt into Fabio <laughs> <laughs> I mean that hair I mean come that's, on that's all he's got going for him <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that because William Allen, the producer who started these films, that's exactly what he said, is that he wanted someone like a creature to be human-like, but also terrifying, not terrifying because they're inhuman, but because of their humanity. So like the beast, yeah. you know, I, I just think that's super cool and very deep, deep cut. Yeah. Um, so now that he's all dressed up and ready to go, they think it would be a good idea to maybe integrate him into society. So guess what state they send he him to? He does have do a history of kidnapping and stalking. I um, <laughs> super does. <laughs> don't don't love that for the for the woman of wherever they're sending him. But so to integrate him into society, they decide to send him to Jacksonville, Mississippi. No, <laughs> I, that may have been worse. California. I feel like mm. Mm. they are ex- accepting more accept are they jason you're the you, you're the one who's lived there are they more accepting there than jacksonville mississippi <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of immigration currently migrants coming from asia from mexico so yeah and, a, and now the swamps of florida <laughs> yeah, yeah south america well in hollywood i guess yeah so, yeah yeah so maybe it's not such a bad idea but yeah. the thing is he's still in captivity they have him surrounded by an electric fence and all that good stuff so the thing that gilman comes to realize is that he is in the middle of a love triangle here, but he's like the fourth member. He's the fourth wheel. So <laughs> Dr. Barton's wife, Marcia, she doesn't play into this at all, but Jed has a wicked crush on her and is constantly trying to like put the moves on Marcia. And she's like, get out of my face. Yeah. So, but the problem is that Dr. Barton, he's super jealous, a little bit unhinged and not very nice to her. Mm. He ends up, killing jed gilman witnesses this murder and he's like oh shit basically yeah so he can kind of see like what's happening here and dr barton blames the murder on gilman so as one does (laughs) well i mean what else are you gonna do it wasn't twinkies Twinkies? Did we talk about the Twinkie case? Well, we'll... yeah, deep cut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to circle back to the Twinkie case. Listeners, okay. just Google Twinkie defense. It, I think that should bring it up. <laughs> okay, that, that's ringing a bell. We, we, I think we briefly mentioned it once when we were. I don't know if it was on air or if we were just chatting, but yeah. Oh <laughs> that's amazing, Barton. He blames it on Gilman. Gilman freaks out and just wants to escape. And throughout the film, I guess he's been like kind of looking longingly at the ocean, just wanting to be free. Mm. You know, he's in captivity, but he loses his mind, goes on a a rampage and essentially towards the end of the film. And I don't want to ruin these too, too much, but he knows he's a scapegoat, loses his mind he rips open the electric fence and then walks off onto a beach and like a true badass, you just see him heading towards the ocean and see. So nice. <laughs> I definitely want to watch all three of these films in a row. Like they just sound 
classic. I want a like a, a 2024 Gale Man remake where SeaWorld captures him and he sees all of the terrors of SeaWorld and then okay. he just like frees all the animals and and it's happy ever after for everyone and he like kills the evil uh, villain yeah. CEO or something. Maybe think- we'll call it something else. We'll call it Ocean World. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say the last film I saw about SeaWorld, or maybe the only one, was Blackfish. Have y'all seen that? Mm. It was so depressing. So maybe Gilman can, like, you know, end us on a good note. Yeah. That would be fantastic. And so Gilman, he's appeared, like, in, or at least had honorable mention in many different things in books. Stephen King's yeah. It at one point. The clown, he turns, he shapeshifts, so he mm-hmm. turns into Gale Man, essentially. Yeah. So somebody must have watched that film. Uh, <laughs> he turns into ultimate fear. A lot of, uh, he turns into Frankenstein, too, actually. Yes, um, he does. He's just it, very, uh, yeah, it is a, a great, one of one of Stephen King's good, good books. The ending, as everyone, I think, who's read it knows is a little odd, but... <laughs> what happens when you're drinking listerine (laughs) yeah we'll have to do a stephen king episode at some point jason you're more than welcome to join us when we do Mm, okay i'm not sure i'm qualified but no i think that call we might be but i don't know so and and other ones that he is known to be seen in is guillermo del toro's shape of water and i guess he's not necessarily like it's not like he's known or referred to as Gil Man, but he is an amphibious creature that ends up falling in love with someone who only communicates via sign language, I believe. Um, and also, don't get me started, he is in The Monster Squad. And I love this movie. It is so good. I used to watch it as a kid, like every year, a couple times a year, definitely around my birthday, Halloween, Christmas, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, He's also in Mad Monster Party, question mark, Frankenstein versus the Creature from the Black Lagoon, and also in the Hotel Transylvania series. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then for TV, he was in the Monsters Flipper, the original TV series, Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School. Of course. Also a classic. Naturally. Yep. Uh, and then also Robot Chicken and Creep Show. So attracts, attracts. <laughs> so since 1954, he just starts making a resurgence, like here and there. I do think that the Shape of Water was the last time we like truly saw this creature, and it was absolutely a romantic movie. There's something to be said to that, just like your song. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I have because mummies are too long. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's super interesting. I, I I like that. I think if you look up pretty much any classic monster, Scooby-Doo has had stuck their fingers in that in one way or another. They're like, well, I mean, of course, you know, naturally, I think for probably quite a few kids, Scooby-Doo was the precursor to to really getting into that kind of classic horror. Um, I'm curious, too, if I'm trying to think because I, uh, I haven't watched it all in a very long time. I'm, I'm trying to remember if supernatural does any Gilman bits because they include a lot of classic i know frankenstein the frankenstein doctors frankenstein family is in supernatural and there's a lot of other there's actually a couple episodes where they 
have a shapeshifter who plays classic horror monsters. So they have like a classic Dracula. He, he turns into a classic Dracula and he turns into a mummy and all that stuff. So I'm trying to remember if at any point they have to play homage to Gilman because they pay homage to all the others at some point, but that's awesome. not, it's not coming to memory. So I could, maybe, maybe they don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the Gilman trilogy is really kind of a sad, I mean, take it as a whole. It is interesting to see the metaphor of sort of being, you know, um, colonization. I mean, you take this native creature and then it's like, we have to make him in our image. He's not, he's, he's unsafe. He's just, been, he's just living on his own in the Amazon. He hasn't done yeah. anything. All they do is find a claw, which sends that team out there. As Bigfoot was talking about, there's no, there's no attack to begin with. So they're not, they're not investigating crime. They're just investigating what this was supposed to be this great animal, or, you know, paleontological find. So he starts, there, living his life in the Black Lagoon and ends with wearing clothes and speaking and losing his gills and being able to take a little bit underwater. And it's sort of like, we, we are taming him to make him like us when we don't, why is he to be like us? Why yeah. is he leave him alone in the Amazon and be the creature that he was born to be? So it is like so many of these stories, it's sort of a tragic story. They're sympathetic characters, these monsters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's very, very deep cut. Um, and I had, I mean, it's very obvious now that you pointed out, but I hadn't, I hadn't put that kind of correlation together, but absolutely. I can see the, the, especially when you're thinking about where he is, originates from in South America. I mean, that's um, it's, it's easy to see that, that tie. And that's, I, I definitely think in a many ways, horror is great at kind of drawing those, those conclusions in times maybe where it wouldn't have been safe to otherwise draw them. Um, I, I think that especially, I mean, the fifties, especially were, were a, a particular time in U S history. So I think it's kind of a safer place to, to say, Hey, look, like this is, this is a thing that's, that's a problem. And, um, even, even if it's not necessarily fully intentional on the part of the creators, I think that's, um, that's a really beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like a comment on things that we as Americans have done in the past to other cultures without ever actually saying it. I think that's really beautiful. Also, it's a really good love story in a way. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was very excited doing the research for that. You should have seen me finishing up my notes last night. It was ridiculous. Had a couple glasses of wine. So. <laughs> I definitely, in in digging into Frankenstein and more so into Mary Shelley's background um and i knew i knew a little about her i knew how young she was she when she wrote it and a little more about but just kind of learning more about her family's backstory and um it is it's really incredible when you start digging into these things how um a how influential the people are but b just kind of how their tragic lives influenced the creation of of these stories and how they use them to as to kind of display their grief in a more universal way and it's really incredible. I mean, I think um, Jason will be able to speak a little more um, towards some of the Mary Shelley things. Cause as, as we were, before you got on, we were kind of talking about it and I brought up some things about her parents and he was already familiar with what I was talking about. So I think, um, you know, our, our local expert here will, <laughs> will have, I think probably some really incredible insight. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about, about Frankenstein, you know, the modern Prometheus and, and, Mary Shelley's influence in horror in general and science fiction. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, diving into that, you know, for those who don't know, she was, she was only 18 when she wrote it. I think it wasn't published, published until she was 20, but she wrote it at 18 and, and she had a, both of her parents were, were 
very intelligent and influential people. Her mother was um, a very influential person in the feminist movement. Um, she she wrote uh, quite a few letters and and not stories and stuff about um, kind of arguing for women's rights and saying how the only reason women are seen as inferior is because they don't receive the same education as men. So naturally, they're going to come across as less intelligent because they don't have the opportunity to grow that intelligence. And her father was a um, philosopher. Some consider him the father of the anarchist movement. So uh, two very, very radical people for the late 1700s, early 1800s. Hold on a second. I had no idea. Like, (laughs) I know I don't know a super ton about Mary Shelley, but I did not realize like how powerful she was or her parents were at that time. That's incredible. It's really interesting. And it's oh, her parents' love story. I found kind of tragic. I was So I was reading more into it and, and John came in before he went to work and I was, I was sitting there and just like in my feels reading some of the things that her father wrote about her, her mother. So, so she, her mother died less than two weeks after Mary was born. Of an of a very common infection that happened during that time period, you know, um, the stuff tore and, and didn't heal properly, and infection passed away after of sepsis. And her her father was so heartbroken, and and in a letter to her friends, essentially wrote something along the lines of, you know, I'm I'm never going to feel happiness again. She's she was the the only the most perfect person for me, and the most beautiful person on this planet. And and I'm never going to feel true joy again. And he actually then read through all of her letters and all of her writings, and spoke to all of her friends, and wrote a memoir about her life, um, which was not received well because she was very radical for her time, and people found it deeply offensive. What a um, improper woman she was but just they had such a beautiful love story and and he really you know mary's education was important to him even though the the woman he married was not a huge fan of how close mary and her father were but um yeah so so mary had was i think set up for greatness with just how uh, really radical for the time her parents were and and how um, I guess I, we'll go with progressive and, and um, influential her parents were and, and intelligent. And so she, I think she ran away at 16. Is that right, Jason, with her poet boyfriend? Yeah, yes. With, uh, with Percy, yes. Yes, yes. Wow. So you know, the, you know the name. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I just know it was a poet. Um, yeah, so awesome. she, she ran away at 16. And um, at the time of writing Frankenstein, she had already lost two children. And when it was published, he had drowned by then. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So from right around that time, yes. Yeah, so oh she, God. in a very young age, had experienced a pretty significant amount of a heartbreak. And I mean, of course, during this time period, child death was a lot more common, but it doesn't make it any less tragic or, or hurtful, especially when you're thinking she's between the ages of 16 and 18, experiencing that kind of um, pain of, of losing a child. And I, um, so Frankenstein in many ways, and, and it's, it is very, very artistic and poetic. And I think not necessarily in a negative way, but it, the creature, when you think of Frankenstein's monster and the tale, when you think of the, the tale of, of Frank, Dr. Frankenstein and his monster has evolved somewhat from the poetry of the original writing. Um, it, it is very much a story of loss and, and not fitting in and, and deep loneliness and it's extremely tragic, just really beautiful 
heartbreaking story. And and it's still, I love the modern Frankenstein, you know, the green bolted zombie, but the Frankenstein who was, I think it was a very common term creature. He was, he's referred to as the creature um, was originally in the story, actually really intelligent and mournful being and, and compassionate being at first until he experiences so much hatred that he's finally like now, like, F it, I'm going to kill everyone. Um, but when, so not only is Frankenstein considered by many to be one of the first ever science fiction novels, you know, it's kind of the, so there are, it's worth mentioning that there are other tales centuries older that can be con- considered science fiction. But when you think of the modern science fiction with fantastical technology, with disastrous consequences and even the the trope of the mad scientist frankenstein's where that was born and so again an 18 year old in an era where you know it was incredible for women to be doing this alone the fact that she had such a tremendous influence on creations going forward on horror and science fiction going forward is really really incredible and and there are i'd say there's there's only a handful of creatures when you think of like well-known classic monsters frankenstein's monster is is top five for sure like very high on the list so when you you know as i said he's evolved over the years so initially when you think of frankenstein's monster you think of the green zombie-like character kind of a square head bolts in the neck Um, in the book he's described as kind of more like you would imagine a reanimated corpse would look like so translucent yellow skin you can kind of see the arteries and muscles through the skin, glowing watery eyes, flowing black hair, prominent white teeth, just more zombie-like, but not zombie-like in in intelligence. So when he's, he does not initially know how to read or speak, but he teaches himself how, um, kind of hides in a shed of of a poor family and kind of falls in love with them a little bit, takes care of them as as he can. And he actually goes in and, and hangs out with the blind father who doesn't know that Frankenstein's a monster. And he just continuously experiences a lot of vitriol and hatred from people who see him and they're like, Oh, what is that? You know, uh, the family at some point, I think he's hanging out with a father and the, the son comes in and tries to kill him. Cause he sees terrifying monster with his father wants to kill him. And it really kind of comes back into him wanting revenge, but also kind of still seeking love from his creator and tormenting his creator i mean killing killing his loved ones to to torment him and making him dr frankenstein look look guilty and the the story the the novel ends with you know the last words of dr frankenstein are to seek happiness and tranquility and and avoid ambition because of all the horrible things that have come of that and the, the creature tells the uh, i think it's a captain of a of a ship that the captain comes in and finds the creature holding the dead Dr. Frankenstein, you know, in a way his father and tell the guy, he tells the captain, this didn't, didn't bring me peace. My crimes have just made me more miserable than, than Dr. Frankenstein ever, ever could have been. And he just kind of, the, the tale ends with him floating off and saying that he's just going to end himself. So no one else has to know or suffer his existence. So it's very, such a dark tale of longing and, it's very beautiful. I, I think more bu- beautiful and less horror to me. It's more of a tragic love story. Like, like Jason was saying, like most horror of cl- the classic horror monsters are their, their love stories at the, at the heart of it. So I just 
one over just a few of the reproductions of Frankenstein. So this tale has been retold and reproduced hundreds of times through different plays, movies, books, songs, and cartoons. I mean, it's been deeply influential in every aspect of our pop culture today. So Frankenstein is featured in t- popular TV series like Penny Dreadful. I really like Penny, Penny Dreadful's reproduction of Frankenstein's monster. I think they do a very good job of depicting the deep loneliness that he experiences and the desire to, to be loved and, um, and not be seen as, as a monster. He was in Star Trek, Sesame Street, Doctor Who, Criminal Minds, Supernatural, Grimm, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Monsters. Herman Munster is very clearly Frankenstein's monster. Um, he's in cartoons like Scooby-Doo, The Simpsons, SpongeBob, Frank and Doodle, uh, Veggie Tales, <laughs> Phineas and Ferb, Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft actually w- wrote a kind of a parody satire of, of Frankenstein's monster called Herbert West Reanimator. Um, there are a whole bunch of other stories that are either continuations, reflections on, or um, parodies of of Frankenstein's monster. So Brandon Aldous's Frankenstein Unbound, Ken Platt's Franken- Frank and Stein and Me. So Frank and Stein being two separate things. Um, Edward Rice Burroughs' The Monster Men, Robert J. Myers' The Cross of Frankenstein. It uh, d- turns into Frankenstein's monster at one point. Um, Dean Koontz actually has a Frankenstein series. Uh, Theodora Goss's The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. Frankenstein is in a whole bunch of different comics, DC and Marvel. Um, There is a Dark Horse adaptation of the 1931 film, which I think is what really brought in the idea of what we now think of what Frankenstein look, the monster looks like now. The 1931 film. If you think of old Frankenstein movie and something comes to mind, you're probably thinking of that film. And a fun fact that I learned, Jason, you probably know this. I, I was absolutely mind blown when I read this. The lightning effects that Darth Sidious uses in Return of the Jedi was the lightning sounds from the same props that were used in the 1931 Frankenstein. I did not know that. As a fan of both franchises, I know. I saw I'm that thrilled. and I was like, no way. So he actually, um, is it Ben... Um, I can't remember the name of the audio effects guy from yeah, the- Ben Burt. Ben Burt. Yeah. So he yeah. reached out to the guy who did all the special effects for the 1931 Frankenstein. And initially he asked him if he could do it. And the guy said, no. And then the guy watched a new hope and drove, drove him to his house and let him record all he wanted with the original props. So that audio of Sidious, you know, zapping Luke, that's the same, the same lightning that was used in 1931 Frankenstein. That's so rad. I was I was over the moon when I read that because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I was like, no fucking way. It's influenced even Star Wars. I mean, it's it's so it's so crazy. And then, you know, songs, the monster mash. Um, there are variances of, of the implication of Frankenstein like love. Um and Huey Lewis in the news is doing it all for my baby. Alice Cooper's Teenage Frankenstein, Metallica's some kind of monster, Bob Dylan's my own version of you, and of course, Jason's Children of the Night. Uh, what company to be in i'm playing (laughs) it's great company (laughs) i mean even children's movies when you think of like lilo and stitch stitch is kind of a metamorphosed version of frankenstein a, a mad a creation of a mad scientist that kind of he's more destruction oriented and less mournful than the original you know frankenstein's monster but it's just very interesting the the influence and then so over the years Dr. Frankenstein 
his relatives or his monster or his monster's relatives have faced Dracula, Gale Man, Wolfman, Baragon, which is a, a kaiju um, whose first appearance was in uh, Ishiro Hondo's Frankenstein versus Baragon in 1965. Um, space Monsters, Jesse James. That one surprised me. Um, it's from a 1966 film called Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter. A Giant Octopus, a half-human, half-fish, half-reptile creature. Um, just the, all over. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's fought so many different things. Sometimes he's the good guy. Sometimes he's the bad guy. Um, I think when he fights the giant octopus, which is from the War of the Gargantuas in 1966, um, he was the good guy. He, was, he fought off the Gargantuas. I think he also... Maybe good guy is not the right word because I believe he also killed people. He was he he was helpful in some ways, and then took his payment in the form of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's just really people have loved the the tale of of Doctor Frankenstein and fr- from the very beginning. I mean, the first play came out only a few years after the novel was published. Um, that's the first. So Igor, the hunchbacked assistant, is not in the book. That's a, a creation from reproductions. And that that play is the first one that included Igor. Igor was named Fritz in the play and was also Fritz in the 1931 version. But when you think of Igor, you know, hunchbacked mad scientist assistant, that is something that was born of an adaptation of Frankenstein. So again, another deeply influential thing that came from, from this creature so um there and frankenstein's been reproduced and and played by some really really well-known actors and some of them surprised me like some of them i I know christopher lee boris karloff who's also the guy who narrated the grinch that stole christmas if the 1966 one um tom noonan peter boyle robert de niro i did not know this he was in a 1994 Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which also had Helena Bonham Carter and John Cleese in it. No way. Kenneth Branagh directing and playing uh, the the doctor. It's incredible. I'd never, I've never heard of that, of that film. I assume perhaps it wasn't that good. I never had much of an effect on the genre. Yeah. I was around when it came out. I remember it and it was okay. It certainly is cool. Obviously has some big name actors and it combines the, more of the book and more of the bride of him making a, a mate for, for the Frankenstein monster. That's more of the plot on yeah. his wedding night and all that. But uh, yes, we're so worth it. Been a Kenneth Branagh and Robert De Niro. That's not, not uh, and Helena Bonham Carter, not too shabby. Yeah, that's, that's like fun I was, cast. Yeah, I was, <laughs> when I was reading through it and I was just going down the line, like, and they're in it and they're in it and I've never <laughs> heard of this. Uh, it's, it's really just in- incredible the reach I was, as I was just, again unfurling the deep history of frankenstein's monster and and mary shelley's influence on sci-fi and horror as a whole and um just what a really really intelligent and influential person person that she was and again kind of seeing how frankenstein is a reflection like many horror tales of you know what it means to be human and these universal things that everyone suffers from in one way or another we're all we all experience loneliness and heartbreak and wonder wondering why or if we're not good enough and feeling rejected sometimes by something someone or something that we really love and there there's also some i think advanced for its time but medical 
ethics philosophy within it as well. I mean, where are the lines when it comes to experimentation versus creation? What's the responsibility of the researcher? And, and I mean, she's even ahead of her time, I think fantastically, but just thinking about medical advancements. I mean, talking about even something as simple as defibrillation, uh, robotics, transplants, these are things that we now utilize that she fantastically described. I mean, obviously we haven't cobbled together a, a human monster that we know of who knows I was <laughs> but, just gonna say <laughs> that we know of <laughs> they haven't made it public yet but it's it's just really incredible the the guesses I guess kind of the successful guesses she has made as far as medical advancements and then you know the the framework for kind of looking at and I don't think her intention necessarily was was this entirely I think it really was more about grief and, and suffering but just I think her, maybe her philosopher father kind of comes through with this a little bit and examining the ethics between an experiment and the experimenter and where, like, you know, your responsibility lies. You can't run away from things you've done and, and your your creations and, and you can't abandon them, which is really what Dr. Frankenstein does is he abandons Frankenstein pretty much immediately or uh, the Mo Frankenstein's monster. And that's another thing is uh, Frankenstein. Now, when you think of that, you think of the monster, but technically that's the name of the doctor. It's <laughs> the, the monster is just creature. Um, but yeah, just the consequences of playing God and um, man, it is just, it's such a, such a, a, a deep and, and poetic tale with, long reaching influence. It would be interesting to see a world where Mary Shelley never existed and see what horror looks like today and how different things could be without her influences. Yeah, truly remarkable. I don't know, I have so many things to say about Frankenstein, but to concentrate, since you want to talk about Mary Shelley, which I think is a great entry point. Please, into the, yes. The story. Yes. Uh, what's <laughs> yes. Interesting, I mean, what I always find interesting because there's a science aspect to it is what the, the origin of the story that she and Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, so yeah. Three big names right there. And then Dr. Polidori was one of her traveling companions. They were in Switzerland in 1816. They were summering there. She was with Percy. Percy might have been married. They were not certainly married to each other, but she was with him. Yes. At <laughs> 1817. And it was miserable weather all summer. And they were reading ghost stories at some at some mansion belonging to one of them. They were all rich. Yeah. And the idea was, well, how about we, these are two, two writers, Lord Byron and Percy Shelley. They said, let's all write ghost stories. We read a bunch of them. Why don't we spend a night or two writing them? Yeah. So uh, Dr. Paul Dory wrote a story that became The Vampire with a Y, Vampire, that it was published. Uh, and Mary Shelley wrote the beginning of Frankenstein because of this little contest they were having. And what's interesting is, so that's where how it all began. She, I don't know if she had any desire to write fiction. Obviously, both of her parents were writing more like treatises. Yeah. And who knows she wanted to be an actual author. And what's interesting, if you back up, so why, were they, why would she write this story? Because it was bad weather. Why was it bad weather? Because 1816 was the year without a summer. 1815 oh. had seen a gigantic volcanic eruption in Mount Tambora that blotted out the sun and changed the weather for a year. A huge event. The crops died. People died. It was a gigantic global event. Uh, temperatures went down one or two degrees Celsius. Wow. talking about right now, the UN talks about not increasing. Yeah. You know, the temperature's two degrees in like 50 years. This is two degrees over a year. Yeah. It was a huge event in Europe. So it affected all of Europe. So the reason that they were stuck inside, because even in summer, it was still terrible, terrible weather. We couldn't go out and do anything. So we have, in a way, a volcano to thank for Frankenstein. And wow. possibly all, as you say, all of science fiction literature from that event. That's incredible. I, I knew the uh, like the, the basis of the story that they had gotten together, but I didn't know 
like why they had gotten together during that time. And I did that's, that's incredible. So it just, it's crazy how much throughout history is really dependent on, you know, there's one factor that if it had changed the butterfly effect, you know, one factor had changed, who knows where things would be now, how different things would be now. That's incredible. That's, that's why they were all telling ghost stories and two of them became actually published works. Uh, and then one of them became Frankenstein, which obviously, yes, is still relevant. Uh, the films themselves, speak a bit about the films, I think there's a good, the Universal Collection I have is DVDs is 36 movies. And that's the main films and all these spinoffs of various quality. Some of the spinoffs are good and sequels are, and then they sort of, as they go on, like everything else, get worse yeah. and worse. But that, that sort of trilogy, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, which is quite possibly superior, and then even the next one, uh, Son of Frankenstein, uh, that, that has Bela Lugosi playing a sort of fun kind of Igor type character. Yeah. He still has Boris Karloff, so he's, he's still in it. He was, he's, after that, he's gone. So those, those three are really a, a, a fantastic sort of trilogy within 36 films. They all got the same, they all continue the story. The first two do have Henry, the same actor, Colin Clive playing the Doctor. All three have Boris Karloff. They throw in Bela Lugosi playing this creepy character in the third one. <laughs> uh, and they all really do connect. So if people are looking for what to watch, what are the good ones, that those three are kind of an unintentional trilogy that are good. So yeah, Frankenstein, Bride, which everyone should see, just to see that fantastic character. Everyone knows about it, Frankenstein. She's not in the film very long, but it's a magnificent character. And you actually see in Bride, you see what we're talking about. Lord Byron and Percy Shelley and her and, and Mary Shelley with Storm outside talking about, let's, let's have a story. Let's talk about, let's, let's tell some ghost stories. So they actually illustrate that. And Elsa Lanchester plays Mary Shelley at the beginning, and she plays the bride at the end. So it's a very nice little, um, they even have some visual clues where you actually see the same sort of her and the two men flanking her at the beginning. Yeah. As the bride at the end, with the Dr. Pretorius and Dr. Frankenstein sort of flanking her and sort of controlling her, both as a woman and as the bride. It's very, it's, I mean, this is very well made. James Whale knew what he was doing. These are fantastic. Just, even those two are great. If you want to throw in the third one to kind of end the trilogy, that's not bad either. But those first two films are, are must-see, really. That's yeah. so clever. I love that. I didn't realize how big of a collection, well, your collection is probably like <laughs> unprecedented, but wow, that is so impressive. Very cool. Yeah. So would you, what, I guess I have a couple of questions. What is the largest of all of the monsters or, or horror um, designs out there? What What is your largest collection? Would it be your Frankenstein collection? I think if there's all of the, the, all the films Universal made, I think Frankenstein was in the most of them. Like I named those first three, Ghost of Frankenstein, a very important film for cinema, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, the first time two characters entered each other's universes, that the monsters existed in the same time, in the same place. That was new. That's how you wow. get Avengers. Yeah. You, know, you have two, two movies sort of combining. And there was House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula in that one as well. That's that seven? And then, uh, then the film that saved Universal, maybe it's sort of another time, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, something we might laugh at today. A very important film. It's actually a pretty good film. So that's eight. So if you wanted, if you wanted to just follow Frankenstein as, as a character, that's those movies. Again, only first three have Boris Karloff. And you have other people playing him. That pathos, that acting ability sort of starts to go away. He's more the transition. I don't know the official term, but I think there's a difference between a horror film and a monster film. Yes. Horror has that pathos, and monsters are just like mindless killing machines. Uh, so I, I say Godzilla is a monster movie where something like Dracula is a horror film and more atmospheric. So yeah, Frankenstein is a, is kind of the through line of the entire universal canon. A lot of great films and then some that are not so good. They just kept reusing him, putting anybody in that makeup. He doesn't talk. 
and it just kind of gets sad, as so many yeah. franchises do. They kind of out, outlived his his purpose. Wow. So, what do you have a favorite of the classic monsters? Well, let's just say of the ones that you that you mention in your song. Who who is your favorite in there? It's hard not. To, I mean, the, the Frankenstein and Bride combo is pretty great. Even they don't actually end up together. I don't know what's a spoiler, but, but <laughs> that, that, that love story, that's, that's a love story we kind of want to happen. Everybody yeah. else, women are usually running away. The mummy is a little closer. She's reincarnated and is, is actually his wife, supposedly. Like, he's, that's true. Not that she wants him now in the modern era, but I think she is Aksunamun, his, his, his queen or whatever. But the bride and Frankenstein together are such a great... And then that film has humor to it, has James Wells touches to it. You have Dr. Bartorius, who's a very fun, campy character. Uh, the monster talks a little, so not doesn't destroy the magic, but he does kind of express himself in some ways. And you have that great episode from the book where he does encounter the blind man, and you have that little, that, that fun storyline. So it really is sort of a, Frankenstein establishes all these things, and the bride, you get to kind of explore that world a bit more and explore what, what he does when he is talking and leaving the castle and talking to people. So uh, yeah, that that film and those two characters—they're they're hard to beat. Yeah, I I, I absolutely see that. Wow. Hmm. What uh, what first got you really obsessed? Or well, I mean, to me, obsession can be a really positive thing when it comes to cinema. Um, <laughs> but with the world of horror and classic monsters. Yeah, really, just the classic monsters. I say I'm kind of something of a scaredy cat when it comes to more recent. When you get into slasher films, the seventies and eighties, those don't really resonate with me. Uh, up into Saw and those films, I don't really care. Yeah. I, I got introduced. My dad was a big film buff. He still is. He's still still alive. Was a big <laughs> film buff. Introduced me to the original films. And then when I got that job at Universal, there was a company store, so I would buy him. Yeah, he had, he had all the major films, but there were all these little. You know, double features, there were things like Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein back to back. And the Mummy's Hand, the Mummy's Ghost were on the same disc. Uh, this is the, the very beginning of DVD. So I'd buy him those films as gifts and bring them to them. And of course, being my dad, he wanted to watch them with me. Yeah, <laughs> so of course. <laughs> watch them together. So I began to learn the much larger world of these other sequels. Some of them are crazy, some of them are good, some of them are just bad. They're all short, like 80 minutes. It's not, not hard to even watch them back to back. And so I began to get to sort of appreciate the larger universe and then realize things like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman the first time. The idea that the characters in one movie knew about the characters in the other. It was a whole new idea. Frankenstein yeah. is Germany and then Wolfman is London or like Wales and England. It's the fact that they even exist together at the same time. What time period are these films taking place in? <laughs> so that was the fact that they could combine each other and fight each other. Oh boy! Then you get all these other monster villains. We get House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein, and have all the monsters together. Yeah, not always really successfully. Even things like Van Helsing, when they put the monsters together in one film, it's, it's hard to do. Yeah, it really is. And then yeah. the Tom Cruise yeah. version is still hard to do. They really haven't quite pulled it off. Even Universal didn't do it that much. Uh, but that's where I began to really to love those films and being at Universal, where they were the outdoor sets are still there. So whenever yeah. they're outside, the, the sound stages, of course, are still there. But it's called Little Europe. And it was whenever there's rampaging monsters or people with pitches and, and uh, pitchforks and torches, that's the outdoor sets. They're still there. It's still being used. Uh, most that's recently, so cool. uh, The Good Place used them whenever they're outside in The Good Place with the, all the yogurt chops and yeah. all those funny signs. Look closely. It's kind of a European village looking. Yeah. That's it. No way. There. I love <laughs> that show. That's that's incredible. So, uh, man, we need to have you on just to talk about movie sets. I think. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, boy. I'm giving yeah. the whole universal tour right now. Yeah. Well, you're That's blowing so my neat. mind, too, even thinking about Wolfman and Frankenstein 
being the because we're so used to now the you know the the multiverses they've beaten it to death really at this point but it's we're so used to crossovers now and that being such a common thing and it's incredible to think of you know that being um the in, the influence to kind of say hey look we can do this and and bring these things together and and sometimes it's really incredible when that happens and really exciting when that happens and it's cool to think that that's you know the the, the first time of that that happening is uh i didn't know that that's really, again just another another reason that frankenstein is is and frankenstein's monster have been so hugely influential in the world of of pop culture wow yeah that's um I don't know. My mind's just blown right now. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still going through the good place part. That's, uh, that's, that's so much. I, that's just, you've told me a ton of times to watch that. I will. It's on the list now. It's just and very uplifting tomorrow in, in not <laughs> yeah. in times that are not uplifting it. It's very hopeful. And I, I appreciate that about that <laughs> getting hope where we can squeeze it out. You know, it's um yeah, the good place, the good place has a lot of really fun philosophical thought puzzles, I guess, kind of in the, the context of being ethical in a consumer world. I, I think that they, they tackle that in a very thoughtful and meaningful way. And yeah, you're like learning philosophy and ethics while without even knowing it. Yeah, like absolutely. Like a, like, a, like a class in ethics, but in a funny way. Yeah. I also feel like I should knowing the audience here, I should point out again, not to give the entire tour, um, uh, Genovia for the princess diaries movie that also is a little European sets stuff you get to whenever they're, whenever they're not really in europe when there's not like big ben behind them and there's some kind of small area that's probably the universal version of europe no way. not much anymore nowadays they really do go somewhere or use green screens or go or even go to ontario or quebec which looks french enough yeah but, uh, yes princess i raised them i said it on the tour uh there are scenes of us when they're walking around this you know a few of the streets of their made-up kingdom that is little europe as well that's so wow. neat. I love that little behind the scenes, like glimpse that you can give us into that world and how they make <laughs> the actual movie magic, you know, because that's one of the things I always wonder. And I get like really excited if I hear that a film is going to be done like somewhere nearby. It's really cool. And then you start seeing like the newspaper posting like we need people in the background sign up and, you know, <laughs> Yeah, we got to have that here with the escape from Dana Mora when we had yeah. uh, Ben. Is it Ben Stiller come up here? Yep. I think yeah, ben he was Stiller. going. He he stayed at the hotel and went to the gym that my husband worked at. My husband didn't get, didn't get to see him, but apparently, um, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the closest that's the closest claim to fame we have up here is the that escape from Dana Mora. But yeah, it's wild. It's very very interesting. It's it's so. Um, the, just the, the, the degrees of closeness with which everything kind of that humanity has and how everything's so deeply interconnected. And as you start to pick apart, you just kind of see all the similarities and the pieces and, and how all art is influenced by other art. And that's just, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to see the, how, how reliant we are on each other, on each other, I guess, to create and to exist as humans. You know, we really, it's not a one person show, even when it is. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm not going to do a would you rather because I didn't come up with a, a, a clever enough one, but I do have a kind of would you rather that I'm going to ask both of you. And we're going to start with our wonderful guest, Jason. So if you had and we'll we'll say gender brand, but if you had to date a gender brand version of one of the classic monsters, who would you choose? 
Oh, I think I think that's easy. Um, I, 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 vampires are sexy. Let's yeah. be honest. So yeah, any yeah. Age, I mean, Dracula did have brides in the book and in the movie. They don't get enough. They don't get enough uh, attention. I think it may be time for someone like me to write a screenplay about them. It's public domain. Yeah, it's out there. So do it. <laughs> no, they so they, they kill Dracula. Whatever happened to Dracula's brides? I don't know what happened. Do they die too? Do they get? Do they get unbrainwashed and are now free to live their lives? Are they five hundred years old? I don't know. They never. They, oh. I go to Wikipedia. There's like no actual explanation of what the brides in all the various versions what really happened to them. Yeah, so I, didn't that. There. But I think yes. I, I, I even I mean Bill Lugosi himself is certainly a a presence. I mean he just just his eyes. Yeah, he plays Dracula without fangs. He's not relying on fangs. He's just dressed up, looking great in that tux and the cape and lovely hair. Right. And he's just I never eyes. even noticed that. Yeah. No fangs. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. any any version of Bella goes to see a female version of his brides, a vampire. Yeah, yeah vampires are beautiful. So easy I think call. I'd I think I'd pick that too. Yeah, just and, yeah. and you know, immortality is cool, especially when you know, as we've we've said this many times on the podcast. As long as I have an out to the immortality, if I get to a point where I'm like, all right, like I've done enough, I'm good. There's an end to it, and vampires have that option. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I'm I, so now I'm just like. Uh, I'm thinking like a Brides of Frankenstein, but like Golden Girl styles. They all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> That's so. Awesome. What would you pick, Big Spoon? You know, I'd like to be different, but no, I would have to go with Dracula for sure, so that yeah. I could live forever. You know, yeah. I don't know if you'd give me a choice or not. Part of me would love to say that Wolfman wouldn't be a bad bet either, but I don't know. Well, Jason, I, correct I, yeah. me. <laughs> well, you know, 24 days of the month, they're just a person. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, I like dogs, true. so, you know, not, <laughs> not romantically, but, but I, <laughs> I can take a break for a week every month. <laughs> yeah, I guess Wolfman is, is runner-up, I think. Um, yeah. Right, uh, Dracula would definitely, especially, I mean, if you think like Castlevania Dracula, who is uh, a one woman man and very much in love with his, I mean, I wouldn't really want the end that wife of Dracula had in Castlevania, but wait, what happened? Have you seen the the show? No, I'm not talking about the game. Yes. I'm talking about the show. Neither of you have the anime. No, wait, the show, what no. am I thinking of? Okay. So Castlevania, it is a, it is a game, but they made a show based on the game. Mm-hmm. The show is fantastic. The premise of the show is Dracula is, is angry because something happens to his wife. You are so Loves good very at not much. spoiling it. <laughs> That's, That's all awesome. I'm going to say. Maybe she lives, maybe she dies, but he's mad about whatever happened to her. <laughs> You're just adding things to the list that I got to so tune into. It's, it, is, it is very well done. The most recent season I wasn't a huge fan of, but they ended it in a way where you're like, oh my God. So now we have to watch the next season, but it's, it's good. So wait, now you both have me thinking who is on the bottom of the list. <laughs> Cause I'm well, the, the visible man, there's a visible woman as well. There's a, there's a comedy sort of spinoff. They did that. You know, who are you talking to? It's hard to have yeah. a nice voice. Hard to be so in love annoying. with someone you can't see. You know? Yeah. That would yeah. be kind of, that would be kind like of texting, tough. like a like a text relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind that of would be um, so weird. What's the Greek story? It's not Cupid, is it? No, it's not. Hmm. Uh, that's not um, the son of Aphrodite. I think. He, Eros. Yes. So he 
he took a bride that, who couldn't see him for the first like n- three months or something, right? Or first year. Um, was it Arrow? Psyche? Psyche? Yes. Psyche, yes. That's who I'm thinking of. So, I mean, the the first, she fell in love with him over the first course of the first year, um, but then didn't trust that he wasn't a monster and ruined it by looking at him. But yeah, I think Invisible Man would be like, Gilman, to be honest, I'm sorry, Gilman, but I think I'd have a hard time getting past the scales. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to colonize him. He can be as he is. It's just not my thing. <laughs> well, at least in like, oh god, um, at least in the shape of water, he looks a little bit more slippery. Mm. That didn't you know? make it better. That didn't oh, make it I'm better. Sorry. That made it weird. <laughs> yeah. That didn't make it better. It made it weird. <laughs> I was thinking the mummy would probably be a terrible choice because of all the dryness. Just oh, saying. Just dust yeah. everywhere. Yeah, speaking no. of, I'm going to put more chapstick on. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein, better. I think, would still be pretty... Frankenstein's monster would still be pretty high on the list because, um, I mean, appearance-wise, not maybe super great, but he, if you're if you're taking the classic Frankenstein's monster, he could, I think, ha- you could have great conversations with him. He would probably make you breakfast in the morning, you know, but there'd be positives to that. Maybe just not he a seems- super romantic no, but he's really or sweet intimate. yeah and kind so you know that's not a bad deal i do think opinion. he i get the impression he'd be very jealous though like i think if you mm-hmm. went out with friends and there was another dude there he'd be like who's keith <laughs> <laughs> who is keith yeah who's this keith <laughs> that you're texting <laughs> certainly no, i we think were... the bride uh, I'm no yeah. surprise a film made by men, but the Bride of Frankenstein is really very alluring. I mean, uh, Elsa Lanchester is plays both roles. Both especially Elsa Lanchester as the Bride is gorgeous. Yes, and in the yeah. beginning, which is playing Mary Shelley, she's beautiful. Not beautiful for the '30s. Full stop. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, she's that's why you see so many versions of her and so many, so many Halloween costumes uh, because yes, that is a that is a fantastic look, and she's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the art I've ever seen based on the Bride of Frankenstein, like it's her image always. So that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Timeless yeah. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just like the monsters themselves. They're absolutely there's definitely like a repeated formula almost in a way of these monsters and what ends up happening, even in films that aren't horror. I think yeah especially with Frankenstein you know like you said like the creation of something and that responsibility and that ownership of like you know what is the consequence here it's very interesting even um I just so I I have not watched a lot of Seinfeld but growing up my dad watched it a lot and there's a scene in particular that's burned into my mind where the tall not super sharp guy with the black hair has pants on that are too small and the kids see yeah kramer a kid (laughs) sees his shadow and kramer's walking like this and a kid thinks it's frankenstein and i watched that i saw that scene as a kid and i understood it immediately and and it's still stuck in my memory that's another example of of frankenstein's monster just being in everything i mean seinfeld is not horror at all it's very like very clearly a comedy show but it's you know there's there's elements of this classic horror and sprinkled throughout everything truly or spongebob even frankendoodle you know spongebob's not a not a scary show but they still have the frankendoodle spongebob has a creation (laughs) that that is angry that it was created and goes around destroying everything i mean it's 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 really just so so influential yeah yeah so 
Jason, is there anything you're dying to tell us, whether it's about something you want us to know about these classic movie monsters or specifically about your career and how it influenced Nothing is too it. niche or boring for us. No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make it less about me, more about a public service. That I, uh, the, if, I don't know if, you're, if your listeners are younger and are hearing us talk about these films, like, aren't these old black and white movies that aren't, they're not scary. What is the point of this? I, they, they you, should, you should watch them. If you only pick the big ones, just you know, just the Wolfman, the Mummy, Frankenstein. There's the Frankenstein trilogy. If you want to try that as well, they first of all they're short. There's not a big time commitment. There's like the 70, 80 minutes. They're easy to get through. The it, to understand horror, to understand why you're dressing up as this character for Halloween when you were eight. You know, eighty years later, yeah. because of these films, they're so atmospheric. They're so spooky. They certainly are a vibe. They're an aesthetic. What do the kids say these days? They're certainly they they have a great look to them. Uh, are they scary? No. Are they creepy? Are they spooky? Are they cool? Yes, they are. Yeah. So do, if you don't like, if people are listening going, these movies are old and boring and they're not scary, give them a shot. Uh, Dracula is a little tough. Dracula is a bit old and sort of, it's almost like a play on film. It wasn't shot yeah. very well. Frankenstein, The Bride, The Wolfman, The Mummy, uh, original Black Lagoon, the original one. These are fun movies. They do have a lot to say. And the look of them is just magnificent. It really does sort of, it's the, it's it's horror cinema being created in front of you. Even the even the different makeup from Phantom of the Opera, the silent version, which is just Lon Chaney Senior doing his own makeup. Too, like you were saying, Big Spoon, the Creature Black Lagoon, a full body suit. That's very different than just putting makeup on yeah. the Mummy of the Wolfman. That's a whole different technology. Again, so you get to see the evolution of like makeup effects over those the thirty years, twenty six to fifty six. So that's that much I would say. Is people are listening, going, I don't know if I care about this film. They are not just important. Some films are just important but not really good. These are both. They are yeah. important to horror, important to cinema, important to monsters. And yet some of them are just a magnificent experience because they are so creepy and, and scary and, and cool. So I would at least get people to check those things out. I think that that is important. Uh, even though it's not Halloween anymore, it's still horrible, bad weather, long nights, cold nights. Yeah. Uh, cuddle up with the mummy or the wolf man and, and give it a shot. Uh, winter is the time for, for scary stories. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's a, full season thing absolutely i mean it's really an all-year thing for for some of us but <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I think that's a fantastic a fantastic psa and it's really <laughs> something my husband and i joke about a lot is so alien is one of my favorite horror movies of all time i mean if it, it is in its own right influential in so many ways it's super super progressive and and fantastic and on multiple levels and i absolutely adore it um but we were watching it years ago probably five or six years ago so i was in my mid-20s and we were watching it with a friend who was in his early 20s like maybe maybe even 19 uh, four or five years younger than me and we were maybe 10 or 15 minutes into the movie and he looks at me and says can we watch a real movie now like get out <laughs> does he even understand what he just How said to your face in your house you. <laughs> I have oh like God, Ripley pop cute. figures on my wall and like <laughs> my nickname at work is Ripley. She's, Just, she's such you know, a, a play on Riley, but still she it's like to me, it's like an honor, you know, yeah. like Sigourney Weaver's incredible. And she's a babe. Like not that that's, you know, key to it, but we'd have to throw that in there is that she's a total babe. And it's part of it. It's part she's of the it. whole package. Yes, she is. And <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so there's. Do, um, uh, aliens certainly a lot longer than those those films um 
in in a, a different i would say a different vibe because alien is more horror versus monster kind of that distinction you were talking about earlier but I, watching those the movies that have had such an influence over over time it really helps you appreciate what you watch now so it's not homework it's fun it's and it, it I'm sorry. It's fun. Have your friends over and pop a bunch of popcorn and watch a bunch of classic monster movies. And then you can appreciate the movies you're watching now. Cause, cause these are the founding fathers of the movies that we watch today. You it's, know, that, yeah. that's kind of funny. Like I keep going back and watching old horror movies. And actually, if you I like alien, them. yeah. Um, there's basically the underwater version of that is Leviathan. It's fantastic. So it's, very much just like alien in a way but i don't know underwater if you're just spookier yeah <laughs> in a way it can be yeah and there's something to be appreciated with kind of the evolution of film too and i guess that you know i mean if you're listening to the show you're the kind of person who's going to appreciate that i think and who who would be very interested in giving them a try if you haven't already because you know you want to to learn more and and kind of experience that history and, and growth and even just kind of seeing the I mean when you film in general tends to highlight issues out of the time and sometimes in very obscure ways if it's not necessarily something safe to talk about like the red scare or things that are a little more overt like I think now sometimes a problem in my opinion now films are a little too like beating you over the head with the point where it's like okay like I, I like it if I can kind of think about it and start to pull it together myself. But if you're just like smacking me across the face, assuming I'm too stupid to figure it out, unless you tell me the point that's, a, I think older movies are a lot better at kind of like gently coaxing the point out of the film without making it really like. Feeding you with a big spoon. Yes. Without yeah. feeding you with a big spoon over it. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I should add one more film. That's not part of the, the major canon, but I think is uh, very much what you're talking about uh, yeah. there is uh, Dracula's daughter because it is, uh, the queer coding of it is very interesting. What they're trying to do with uh, Get Around the Censors, it is a woman, she's preying on women, she has these desires, she's trying to fight them, it's inappropriate. It is, I mean, it, 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 the metaphor is all over the place. Yeah. And yet wow. it's like, this is 1936, and it's, it's her. Yeah. You have a female monster, Dracula's daughter. She is the daughter of Dracula and trying to like kind of get away from his curse and fight these impulses and can't do it. And so uh, that, especially, I think maybe your listeners might be might that might appeal to them in 2024. Absolutely, uh, like even though it's that old, it is. There's no better, no worse called Nobel. Go see just her, and she's fantastic. Has these good luring eyes, and has her own little rampage. But she's trying to fight this unnatural urge within her, and you can see what they are trying to say. So yeah, that's worth a worth worth a list as well. Absolutely, yeah. I'll have to, I've never even heard of that. I'll have to give that a watch. That's yeah, that's same awesome. Here. And that is, yeah, that's it is brave for the time to even tiptoe around the idea of of implying that kind of stuff. Is I mean, this is people are still being jailed for for homosexuality, and yeah, that's really incredible. Wow, and and, and somebody, yeah. No, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, no. You you talk. <laughs> One thing I noticed, when you were talking about how much these films are so uh, exemplar, I mean, how much they influence cinema, I was thinking I, I came, maybe surprised, I came late to uh, The Godfather. I hadn't watched it ever. I'd never seen it until yeah. I was an adult. And watching it, I was watching going, this is every cliche. This is every mafia cliche in the world. What? How is this movie so great? Everything, I've seen this before. Yeah. And I realized, oh, because of this. 
Yeah. This is the yes. genre starter. This is the trope starter. So if you watch these horror films and go, well, I've seen this before, because of this. That's why there's a haunted castle and a haunted lab yeah. and a hunchback assistant because of these films. So if you yeah. look at them and think, oh, I've seen this all before, you are seeing 100 Years of Cinema being invented by these films. Yeah. So get ready for some tropes yeah. <laughs> some cliches because they yeah. were invented they were cliches back then they were new back then yeah it was it was groundbreaking and like it that that is the og og trope right there you're watching it and unfold in history which is in itself just a crazy thing i mean you think there's just so many you know fa fantasy and sci-fi and horror in general there's just there are there are things out there that doesn't matter how are timeless it's just they yeah. they will continue to influence humans for centuries. We're gonna, you know, three hundred years from now, you're still gonna be seeing aspects of these things that were created in the what will be considered basically the Stone Ages. And yeah, man, you too. That was like very eye opening for me. <laughs> As someone who considers themselves like a huge horror fanatic, you know, I definitely learned definitely learned quite a lot. Um, and now I feel like I need to brush up on like my knowledge here because this is embarrassing <laughs> well, like you said earlier jason you're like the the, the encyclopedia for us because i got I, I know the 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 basis of these things but you're like yeah this film which came out in this time and this film which came out in this time and this is the backstory behind that and which i which is fantastic i mean it's super, name dropping yeah it just <laughs> like i have to google these things before i see them and you just i mean it makes sense you know when you're especially if you were working in that field for a while you kind of have to have it be able to pull it out like that and that's just um really incredible and also very useful <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so a lot we, of that uh... we're still memorized i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doing it in your sleep still <laughs> indeed i feel wow. like there's a lot more we need to uncover with you jason at some point in the future I'm a fan. I'd be happy to come back. I've loved the recent episode. I've learned about Krampus. I've learned about superstitions, oh, night terrors, and vampires. I had a pretty good handle on, but it was still a fun episode. But yes, I'd be happy to. I'm not sure if I'm an expert. Certainly, I'm a fan of some of these things. So sure, just say the word. Yeah, we'll have to. I'm already thinking like because I want to do the evolution of, of zombies. I did had a, a class in college with a, a fantastic, amazing, hilarious professor that was zombies in, in film and talking about the crazy metamorphosis of zombies throughout pop culture and how, I mean, yeah, just, and I would love to have, hear your insight and knowledge about just the overtones and, and the meanings and the implications, just talking, you know, about the hidden meanings behind films. Zombies certainly have taken great advantage of that throughout history. Um, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to do a zombies episode for sure. I'd be happy to come back. Are you a zombie expert too? No, not particularly. I'm watching The Last of Us uh, right now. Uh, I know some of the classics. Yes, yes, indeed, obviously. Uh, but uh, no, there's not there's not, not not really zombies in the Universal canon until the recent remake. They remade uh, Night of the Living Dead and uh, Dawn of the Dead. I guess I don't think they're in the shopping yeah. mall. Those were Universal films, I guess, the 2000s. So I know something about them, but I'd be happy to learn from you as well as offer my contributions. This is this is a fan based podcast. No one, we're, everyone who's listening knows to Google things after we see them to make sure. Oh yes, uh, it's we're just here to to talk about things we enjoy and zombies. Zombies are certainly on the on the list of human reflection and metamorphosis and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just love them because there's so many 
uh, flavors of zombie, so to speak. It's very fun. And Dawn of the Dead, the one at the mall, that one actually kind of got me back into zombies because I know we talk about nightmares or we did very yeah. recently. One of the recurring ones that I do have is about being stuck in a house surrounded by zombies. Usually it's a very small flimsy home. So, you know, I never experienced, uh, you know, the horde coming to get me, but, uh, watching those films actually made me a little bit less afraid over time. And now I don't have too many dreams about them, but they still haunt me <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. They're zombies are, are just such an interesting, interesting creature and interesting to see how popular they've become. I think, especially in recent times, they've, I think they've really blown up so to speak as far as the what the modern zombie is and and fear of the walking dead not no what the walking dead and then there's fear of the walking dead and then there's i think another spinoff so the survivors or something like that um but that i think really kind of brought us to like the modern craze that we have with them i think that's kind of like um yeah if we can we can totally talk about about zombies that they're 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 very very fun very fun origins and backstory and all that stuff and then also ancient egypt yes <laughs> big, big spoon is gonna... itching to hear you talk about ancient egypt <laughs> yeah. oh we just had a big event discovering the anniversary of the opening of king tut's tomb that was 1922 if i recall yes. so we had a big anniversary we spent several specials about the science of king tut's curse could the curse be real there is some actual science behind it, and uh, so discoveries going on. They're still looking for. They never, never found a Nefertiti's tomb, for example. No. That's still out there somewhere. Um, so there's still, yes, there's still things to be talked about besides all the various cool things like mummies and curses and treasure. Heck yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I'm <laughs> I've been obsessed with Egypt since I was like in second grade. Um, I have a half sleeve tattoo that's all like Egyptian based. Um, and on their mythology. That was the first mythology I had ever learned about and then later got into Greek, uh, Roman. Um, sounds like you two know quite a lot about Greek and Roman mythology. <laughs> no, I think Stephen Fry's mythos really, I mean, I've always been obsessed with it, but I listened to that to fall asleep now because it's just delightful and I love Stephen Fry on so, for so many reasons. Please don't tell anything. So, tell me anything about him that'll ruin him for me. I can't take it. Um, <laughs> but Stephen Fry's mythos. And then I think he, he has Troy and then there's one other one and they're, they're really delightful and, and really it's, I would compare it different energy but i would compare it to neil gaiman's norse mythology where it just it really brings it to a more uh it's hit like that not modern day but it makes it more palatable i think for a modern day um reader who might not be a super fan of these things i mean I, i've always been a fan of mythos but i really enjoy and stephen fry reads his audio his audiobook which is oh that's cool he's got a great reading voice and <laughs> i think neil gaiman reads his as well actually um, I think you're right about that. Yeah, but they're both. If you're an audiobook person, those are two. Those are two fun ones to dive into for sure. Well, so, I I don't know. Um, I think that's pretty much. Let me let me scroll down to see if I had anything else to say. But I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um. I mean, we had this is 
a little shorter than our our last few episodes have been a little a little excessive i think <laughs> this oh, is God. a little more focused um but i think we got a lot of really great great information and i love all the insight that you've had jason and we'll we'll play a little clip of your song and and leave a link for for people if you, if you want to add it to any of your your horror playlists or just a normal playlist listeners you know we'll we'll have a link for that and um we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about more more fun fun spooky things for sure Oh, I'm flattered. I would love to come back. Oh, thank yeah, you so and, much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And also kudos on Children of the Night. I thought the lyrics were very clever. I love the perspective of the female and she's just like speed dating all these classic monsters. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. And so, and the sound is really great. Like it, yes. it, it brings in the, um, you know, it's still kind of modern and rockish, but it brings in the, the classic feel to it still. It's just... Yeah. Operatic metal. Every yeah, Heck yeah. Every, it's fantastic. Um, uh, thank yeah. you. I'll pass that along. Again, the c- composer Eduardo Garcia Rascon provided in that wonderful pipe organ, and then the wonderful vocalist Brett Alana. It might be easier to search for her. Her name, Children of the Night, is a popular name for songs. I'm finding out. Brett <laughs> Alana is up and coming and is new, and you can find it that way. She she's fantastic. Keep an eye on her too. Oh yeah, we absolutely will be. Yeah, and um, yeah. So everyone. You know, most of you listening probably already know, but you can find us at Devil's Dirt Star on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and YouTube, and Patreon as well. Or thank you to our Patreon supporters who I didn't write down, and I'm, I want to go off the top of my head, but then I'm worried I'll forget someone. Tasha, BJ, Brian, Brent, Katrina, Brian. and Carol. We have other followers on Patreon. Those are our subscribers. Yes. So thank you to all of them. Whoops. You guys are amazing. <laughs> uh, our, our sponsor is Phantom Moon Jewelry. Use the code DIRTLINGS for 15% off your order. Um, we'll also include her. We have I have an excessive amount of her earrings. They're very well done and very cute. My favorite ones are the little Hobbit door earrings. They're super cute. They're so pretty. <laughs> yeah, you're awesome. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Jason, again, for coming on and for working through us with the technical issues we had in the beginning. And Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jason, where can we find you? Uh, all over the place. I'm trying to find uh, an alternative to Twitter at this moment. So I'm on threads. I just got blue sky at long last. I'm also on spoutable and post and all the various sort of Twitter rivals. Uh, it's Ginsburg with a U G I N S B U R G. It's not a lot of people with my name, either Ginsburg alone or Jason Ginsburg or J.R. Ginsburg. Uh, so uh, yes, anywhere you want to find me, uh, let's try to make threads happen. I think threads may be the, the winner of all the competition that, that people <laughs> leaving Twitter. So I'm happy to, to find you there on Instagram. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, JR Ginsburg. we'll include uh, Jason's links as well on our on our notes. That way, if you want to find him and follow him, he's pretty funny and shares some pretty interesting stuff too. So it's it's he's definitely worth the follow. You got to keep an eye on him. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jason. You're a highly entertaining to me and a yes. joy to talk to today. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Well, thank you. You've made my week. That's very Aww. nice to hear. <laughs> Same here. We've been very excited about this. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to hear. Well, so until next time, are until we all going to say it? Yeah. Stay dirty. <laughs> Stay dirty. Stay dirty. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs>
bored with regular men Normal and dull I couldn't endure I met the classic monsters and then I dated each one I'll give you the tour